You're listening to a podcast by Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, wherever or however you're listening to this, our hope is that this message is encouraging, it's challenging, and it inspires you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and let's check it out. I want to welcome you to part four of our teaching on the money gap, and I hope we're closing up some gaps in your knowledge You know, I had to learn about money the hard way. My parents didn't teach me anything, and they didn't do it because they were selfish. They just didn't know, and most people don't know. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the church don't know. Now, now, I see a couple of things that have happened in the church in the last 40, 50 years, and that is, number one, we've taught people how to give. And I believe the church has been more generous in the last 50 years than any other time in its history. It's it's an amazing generosity. But number two, I also see the teaching on budgeting and about how to manage your money. And I think that's important. But in my opinion, one of the things that's missing is how do we make money? How does money come? And that's the purpose of this teaching. We're covering a gap that has not been addressed. And, uh, and and I'm beginning to see other people address this as well. I certainly am not the only one. But I want to talk to you today about how money primarily comes to you. So let's go ahead and get right into this. Money comes primarily through the conversion of four primary resources. Now, when I say primary resources, what do I mean? I mean, a primary resource is something that you start with. There is nothing before it. It is the first thing. Everything that we do to get money is from the conversion of a primary resource. And as we study Scripture, we see that the Bible sanctions, not only does it sanction it, but it identifies each one of these primary resources. So let's let's go ahead and take a look at the first one. Work is the first and most basic of the primary resources. Work is a sacred endeavor. A lot of people think that work is under the curse because after the fall, God told Adam that he was going to eat his bread by the sweat of his brow. But even before... Uh, there was any kind of sin in the world, God gave Adam a job. Then the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And by the way, he also gave him a job before he was married. And so, uh, young ladies, if you have a guy that loves you and wants to marry you but doesn't have a job, make him wait till he gets the job. One of Western civilization's greatest mistakes is the separation of the sacred from the so-called secular and 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 what I want you to see by that is that we we kind of somehow take work away from our walk with God. And work was meant to be sacred. Even though you're not working in a church or some kind of ministry, your work is still a ministry to God. And so we need to learn what it's truly like to be Christ-like in the world of money. Nothing is worse than a Christian who's greedy in the world of money. And when God's people are not properly instructed about work, here's what happens. They go to the world and they let the world teach them. The same thing about sex. When I was a teenager, nobody in the church ever talked about sex. So who gets to talk about sex? The devil does. And so all that we learned about sex, we learned it from the devil and from the world and from his crowd. 
And when you look at the Bible, it's full of great teaching on the subject. After all, it's God's idea. But, you know, when you're a young person in the 1960s, 1970s, you grow up the idea that God has nothing to do with this. It's evil. It's dirty. It's nasty. And and so we get a lot of people caught in traps because they don't look to God for instruction. Same thing's true in the world of money. Now, when God's people are not properly instructed about work, they're certain to adopt the world's ways of thinking. All hard work, Proverbs 14.23 says, brings a profit. The most productive work is called diligence. And there's a slight difference between ordinary work and diligence. Diligence has four defining characteristics. Let's see what they are. Number one, diligence is energetic. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. That's Ecclesiastes 9.10. That means if you get put into a job, and notice it says whatever your hand finds to do, because very often it's not your heart that finds your job. You take a job because it's the only thing that's out there. And the Bible's classic example of diligence is Joseph, and it's an amazing story. And he's the boy who had the coat of many colors. His brother sold him into slavery. He was taken down to Egypt, and he got stuck as a servant in the household of Potiphar, eventually was put into prison over a false accusation from Potiphar's wife. He never got to choose his jobs, but he did choose how he was going to do them. And you may not get to choose your job, but you can always choose how you're going to do it. Joseph was extremely energetic. He got with it. He didn't waste time. He wasn't standing around. Uh, Diligence is conscientious. The Bible says in Genesis 39 and 4 that Joseph found favor in his sight, talking about his boss, and he served him, meaning that Joseph was, was... The kind of person who finished his work, he did it right. He did it correctly. He didn't have to be made to do things right. He had an integrity in him innately. And if you want to prosper, you have to have that same commitment to integrity. Now, here's where a lot of believers mess up. You see people in the world, and they're all around us, who have no walk with God whatsoever. And they are unjust in their business dealings. They are unfair. They will cheat you. They'll take credit for your accomplishments. All kinds of things like that. We live in an unfair world. If you are waiting to work hard till you get into a fair situation, you're going to wait for a long time. Joseph, he worked in a very unfair situation, but it never affected the way he did his job. Because he believed in the principles more than he believed in the circumstances. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to quit looking at all the injustice that's around you, waiting to work hard. Will you get the perfect boss? It's not going to happen. I remember one time I was complaining to the Lord about the boss I worked for and about how things weren't right at church. And I was going to go out and start my own ministry and the Lord wouldn't let me go. And every time I prayed, it was, nope, 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 you can't go. And and so I, I was having this session of prayer one day, and I was really serious talking to God, laying out my case as to why I should leave. 
And he said, no, you can't go. And so I finally realized I was arguing with God. I'm going to quit doing it. So I said, all right, Lord, I'm staying where I am, and I'm going to make the best of it. Give me grace to endure all the things that bug me, that irritate me. I'm going to be the best worker they've ever had. And when I did that, God said, now you can leave. And I said, Lord, I I don't get it. I just felt very strongly a complete release to go to another job and to start my own ministry. And he said, I wanted you to know that if you get to your own ministry, you are still going to have problems. There will be imperfect circumstances. If you're waiting for the perfect circumstance, you will have difficult times. You can't start quitting jobs because things are tough, because even when you're the boss, things are still going to be tough, and I guarantee you there were. So diligence and finishing things, doing things right, being conscientious is so very important. All right, here's the next one. You determine the favor that comes your way. The Bible says that Joseph made him, or that Potiphar made Joseph the overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. An overseer is a worker who does not have to be overseen. And that's where conscientious effort comes in. When you're conscientious, you don't have to have an overseer standing over you. You're doing this on your own. Diligence is also self-starting. Listen to Colossians 3.22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. In other words, your boss can't see you all the time, but God can. So what happens is you change employers. You begin to work for God. You're not working for the man. You're working for God. You need to learn to do all your work like you're doing it for Christ. Because when you do that, you begin to see that Christ is the one who pays you. Now, he doesn't settle up every Friday. It may be down the road before Christ rewards you, but you can take any job and make it a success if you will learn to work for Christ. Do it for the Lord. The payback will come in all the little things you learn along the way. Listen, my jobs, I always look back on, and there were some tough ones and some underpaying jobs and so forth, but it was like a chain, and I didn't leave them till I had finished them. And every link that I had, every new step in a career was like the link in a chain, and it was closed. So when I pulled on my career, I had a long chain. You know what a lot of people have? They have a pile of loose links laying around because they never complete anything. They don't learn anything from what it is that they do. They don't take anything from one place to the next except maybe some bitterness. And you can't afford to do that because when you leave in bitterness, you will actually carry the bitterness with you into the new job. And you say, oh, no, 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 this place is a whole lot better. No, I'm telling you, when you come out of the old place with bitterness, even though the newness of the new place may make you feel like everything's going to be okay, the bitterness comes back right away because how you leave is how you're going to enter. Now, Diligence is insightful. The Bible says about Joseph, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. That Meaning that Joseph was not just carrying out orders. He was actually at a place where he was defining how the whole prison worked. And the keeper of the prison gave him charge over the whole thing. How would that have happened had Joseph not been insightful? You know what I found over the years, and this is what I did as a leader and administrator of a large church, 
I brought in the people who actually had the, the contact with the different areas of ministry that they were involved in before I made decisions that affected them because I knew that nobody knew more about their area than they did. Every now and then they might be blind to something, but most of the time they had a pretty good idea of how things needed to be fixed. I remembered that from my own work. And what I did is I began to empower people to talk to me. I want to hear from you. I may not do everything you say, but I want to hear from you because you will have insight. And that's what Joseph did. He brought to the table. Diligence is energetic. Diligence is insightful. Diligence is self-starting. And that uh, diligence has these amazing characteristics, and it's not just ordinary work. And that's why diligence will promote you. Now, diligence leads to favor and promotion. And, and you got to see what Joseph did. First of all, he goes to Egypt as a Hebrew. So what's the first step that he takes? He learns the language. If you're going to be a leader, you got to speak the language of all the people that you're working with. So Joseph learned the Egyptian language. He must have learned it in such a way that he didn't have an accent because later on when his Hebrew brothers come to see him over a dozen years later, they don't recognize him and he speaks like an Egyptian. So Joseph learned the language. Number two, Joseph learned the culture. It's one thing to learn a language, but but you can't offend people in the culture. For instance, Joseph didn't have a beard because the, the Egyptians didn't like beards and so he plucked his beard out. He adapted to the culture. First thing he did before he went in to see Pharaoh when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He shaved. He got rid of the beard. He may have had the beard in prison where it didn't matter, but if he's going to work in the office of the Pharaoh, let's don't go in there and offend Pharaoh the first time we walk in. Get rid of the beard. All right, Joseph learned food service. That's what he learned in Potiphar's house and in the prison. He learned how much food it takes to feed a typical person for a day. Well, if you're going to be in charge of all the food service of Egypt, and if you're going to sell food to other people, you have to know something about food consumption. And Joseph was learning how to manage all this food during the time of famine. See there, it may have looked at the time like everything he was doing was a total waste. I'm in a dead-end job. I'm not going anywhere. But God was preparing him. He was setting him up to manage the whole of the food of the Middle East. And Joseph was in the best place to do it. And finally, when he became the director of the prison, he learned something about human behavior. Because everybody in prison is innocent. And so Joseph had to learn who's telling the truth, who's not. And when people are hungry, they'll lie about food and they'll hide food. Did you ever, as a kid, sneak cookies out of the cookie jar? I did. All right. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Nobody was treated more unfairly than Joseph. But diligence offsets unfair treatment and unfair superiors. Work is the first primary resource. But if you really want to soup up your work, then apply some diligence to it. The second primary resource is wisdom. Wisdom is vastly superior to money. You want to seek wisdom, not money. Now listen to Proverbs 8, 10, and 11. Receive my instruction and not silver. And who's talking here? Wisdom's talking. And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that one may desire cannot be compared with her. You know, when you go after money without 
wisdom, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Proverbs 132 says this, the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. And that's what happens to people who make money and have no wisdom to go with it. They eventually ruin themselves. Listen to what wisdom leads you to. Proverbs 8, 17, 18, 19. I love those who love me. I love those who seek me diligently and and they will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring riches and righteousness, meaning I don't have to cheat people to get these riches. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Wisdom opens our eyes to processes and products that bless our fellow man. And this is huge because when you get up in the morning thinking about, I got to get some money, I got to get some money, you're going you're gonna to be corrupted. You always fall into a trap. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, First Timothy tells us. But when you get up in the morning and you ask a different question, what can I do to bless my fellow man? How can I offer my work, my wisdom, my product to the world? How do I best get that out there? Because if you have a product, you need to believe in it. If you don't believe in your product, don't give it to anybody else. You need to believe in what it is that you do that it's going to be a help to people. When you're thinking in terms of, I just got to get their money, you know what you're going to do? You're going to burn bridges with people. You're going to get their money all right, but you're going to cut short a job. You're not going to finish something. You're going to offer a faulty product and nobody's going to come back. They're not going to want to come back and do business with you again. That's why it's so important that you look for ways to bless people instead of looking for money. Listen to Proverbs eight twelve. I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. What is a witty invention? A witty invention is something that solves a problem. And you know what I love about hard work? And every time I've been involved in hard work, I always come up with this thinking. There has to be a better way to do this. Wisdom was meant to follow work. And people who do the same job over and over and again, they eventually find ways to do that job better. They find ways to improve it. They should anyway. Prudence is the ability to see down the road. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. And so one of the marks of wisdom is we, we learn to look down the road. Oh, I see a problem coming. Hadn't happened yet, but we can avoid it, and we're going to get ready for the problem before it ever happens. That's what wise and prudent people do. Proverbs 22.3 says this, A prudent man foresees the evil and he hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now, when I first started in ministry and business, I got hosed over and over again. And I fell into so many traps and pitfalls. And I want to tell you the underlying reason why. Because in those days, I did not understand that the voice of wisdom and the voice of the Holy Spirit were the same voice. And I was surrounded by people who did stupid things, but they said, God told me to do this. I did stupid things because I thought God told me to do this. And when you don't have the proper filter, when you think that the Holy Spirit leads you to do stupid things, you're always going to get hurt. And a lot of Christians fall into that trap. They think they're following God, but they do things that do not 
uh, agree with the wisdom of God. And one of the things I found when I started reading particularly Proverbs 8, read it. Wisdom is talking. Now, I ask myself this question when I'm reading Proverbs 8. Is this a new member of the Trinity? Is wisdom someone different? No. Wisdom is the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the voice of wisdom cannot be separated. Now, when people read some of these Bible stories, they often think that because God leads someone to do something unusual or unorthodox, they think that sometimes God leads people to do stupid stuff. After all, Gideon went out with 300 men and attacked 135,000 Midianites. Can I tell you, it wasn't stupid at all. What Gideon did was absolutely brilliant. He may not have realized it was brilliant, but God was directing his steps, and God doesn't lead people to do stupid stuff. First of all, Gideon set out, and he sent out a message to all the Israelite warriors to come, and he had over 30,000 people show up. And so 30,000 plus people show up, and the Lord says, you have way too many people here. Send home every man who admits to the fact that he's afraid. So they all went home, except 3,000 guys. God still says, you got too many guys. Take them down to the creek, and I want you to watch them drink. <clears throat> so they go down to the creek, and some of the guys get down on all fours, stick their heads down in the water, and suck up the water like that. 300 men do it in a totally different way. Here's what they did. 300 guys knelt down and they cupped their hands like this and they drank the water like this. Now, what is it about that that caused guys to be selected by God? The guys, the, the, the 2,700 who knelt down and, and sucked the water, they gave up their vigilance. They quit looking. They were not aware of their surroundings. They're totally dependent upon everybody else to watch out for them. But God wanted people who would never give up their vigilance. And the guys who are cupping water like this, they're always aware of their surroundings. That's the kind of guy you want to take into battle. You want a guy who is very self-aware. He's very much aware of what's going on. Now Gideon's down to 300 men. Then he surrounds the Midianites at midnight and he does it on three sides, 100 here, 100 here, and 100 here. I heard a commander of the IDF, one of the three top generals in Israel back in 1988, told my tour group that Israel still follows the Gideon doctrine. They never completely surround an enemy on four sides because they want an enemy to have to flee, and when they flee, that's when they're the most vulnerable. Gideon attacked at midnight, and these guys jump up, the Midianites, 135,000 of them, they jump up. They're already afraid. You know why they're afraid? Because they heard that Gideon sent 30,000 people home. Now, if he sent 30,000 people home, how many guys does he have? In their minds, they're thinking nobody would dare attack us unless they had a superior force. Here comes Gideon in the middle of the night and attacks them with only 300, but they can't see it. They're dealing with this in their minds. And they're thinking we're about to get hammered by a guy who's got so many people, he told 30,000 people to come home. It was the wisdom of God. And then these Midianites jump up and they begin to run. 
and they don't have to run 100 yards, and they're in a totally different group. They don't, I don't care if you got 135,000 guys, you don't know all 135,000 guys, and you can't tell because they don't have their uniforms on. It's midnight. They're not in battle uh, regalia. They're not in full costume. So they get into a zone where they don't know who's with them, and they kill a guy, and that guy's friend kills you. And the next thing you know, they're all fighting each other. It was beautiful. It was wisdom. Unorthodox? Yes, but wisdom? Absolutely. God never leads his people to do stupid things. He may have you do something unusual, but never is it foolish. It's always wise. Now, Learn to create your own wisdom toolbox. And this is what I've done over the years. I have a set of beliefs that I always use. They don't ever change. God isn't going to teach me one of these things today and then in 10 years say, okay, that's not valid anymore. These things are eternal. These things come from God. So let me give you some of these ideas that I have. That I, Anytime I think about a decision, I ask this question. Is this a step? Or leap. You know, it was the devil who tried to get Jesus to leap off the temple, but the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are order of the Lord. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So if you are about to do something that is stretching you in the most amazing way and you're having to leap to do it, it's not from God. God always leads us in steps. I have another saying, only one baby in the crib at a time. I tell the ministry, we can't do that right now because we've got another project we've got to develop and finish before we take on a new one, only one baby at a time. Here's another one, two half-finished projects do not make one whole. A lot of times what people do is they start things, don't finish them, then they go pour energy and money into another project, don't finish it, and they got three or four or five things laying around that are halfway finished. And here's what you need to know about projects. A project can't pay you back a nickel till it's complete. You have to finish your project in order for it to bring you back money. So two half-finished projects do not equal one whole. All right, am I reacting in anger? That's what, you know, I grew up with a temper, and so I had to begin to ask myself this question. This decision I'm about to make, is it just because I'm ticked off, or is it wise? Am I being pushed or led? I have had situations where people were leaning on me, pushing me, and I did things not because I was at peace, but because I felt like I had to do it to please them. Every time I did that, I got burned. Pushing and being led are two different things. Here's another question, and this is wisdom. Is everybody involved in this business deal, everybody in this process, is everybody going to be blessed? Because that's a mark of God's blessing. God never leads people to take advantage of each other. Any good business deal blesses both parties. Now, we found that work and wisdom are primary resources. They can both be converted into money. Here's the third one. A useful product or a commodity can be converted into money. A good product blesses both the consumer and the producer. Now listen to what God says in Proverbs 11.1. 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now unfortunately, a lot of Christian people look only at the first part of that verse. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. See there, people who make things and sell them, they're just greedy. That isn't what the scripture says. It says that when you cheat people when you make a product, that's an abomination to the Lord. But listen to the last part. A just weight or a fair trade, a good deal, 
is God's delight. That says God delights in people trading with each other. So when you take your stuff to the farmer's market and you sell your okra or the, or the corn from your garden and you get a good price for it and people take it home and eat it, God loves that. He loves and delights in trade. Products that you create. When I created products back there years ago to pay for my ministry, God delighted in that. I wanted offerings to pay for my international ministry to children. People never gave me offerings for it. 94% of my revenue came from the sales of products. But you know what those products did? They blessed people. I made bedtime stories for kids. People would say, my kids are never afraid of the dark anymore because your tape on fear. It set them free. I had all kinds of instruction for how to teach and train children's workers. They loved it. I, I made teaching tapes to help workers. I made curriculum for them to use in teaching Sunday school and children church. All of these things that I did, I asked money before. I sold a product, but it was always fair. In fact, it wasn't just fair, it was a bargain. And that's why people kept coming back to me and people loved me for it. It's because I was making a fair exchange. God loves that stuff. It's called uh, trade, barter, whatever we want to call it, but God has used it from the beginning of time and a just scale or just balance is his delight. Now, my perspective on business that I used to teach the people of our church, if I had been given money to do all the things I did back there, if people had given me offerings, I would not have a good business perspective. And that's why a lot of preachers cannot teach people how to prosper. And I'm not putting them down. But when you make your money on offerings, and by the way, it's ordained of God. Galatians chapter 6 tells us, let him who was taught in the word communicate back to him who is uh, teaching, uh, teaching in all good things. That, that, that gives us the principle of giving offerings to those who teach us. That's God ordained. So in a sense, it's product. And what you're doing, you're trading wisdom for money. But a lot of times we don't stop and think about what the person does out there in the workplace and what are you creating of value. And that exchange is blessed. And so I learned that. And as a result, I've been able to teach the people of our church how to prosper. We have people all over the church who have today multi-million dollar companies who will tell you, I learned all I needed to know about business from Pastor George. Pastor George taught me the basics, and it's right out of the Word of God. And this is so much better than leaving it to the world and letting the world bring you business principles that may not honor Christ. God has ideas that honor Christ and bless people at the same time. Now, I hate to hear this. When a pastor says, somebody I didn't even know came up and gave me this much money, I, I agree that God supplies needs like that, but it's a little bit misleading, and here's why. The person who gives you the money may not be known to you, but they didn't give you the money because you were a total stranger. They gave you the money because they were blessed by your ministry. There was a connection between you and them. They heard you on the radio or television or sat on the back pew of your church. Something happened. They got a hold of one of your tapes or read a book. Something happened, and they were greatly blessed by your ministry, by your story, by your testimony. So they brought you something, and you, you may not have known who they were. So you think, wow, this came out of the blue. That's not totally true. So I hate to hear it when a pastor says, somebody I didn't even know uh, gave me X amount of money. 
Uh, people don't get up in the morning thinking of ways to give you their money. And you better settle that in your heart right now. And if you uh, grew up with an allowance and you're still fairly young and you think money comes like that just because you're you, uh, you you're going to have to learn to switch over to a new system because the world's people don't get up in the morning thinking about how they're going to get money to you. And so you better learn these processes by which God gets money to us. Now, the last primary resource is this one, and it's going to come as a surprise. It's called capital. And Jesus put his sanction on capital investment by telling this story. Here it is in Matthew 25, 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a trip. He called together his servants and gave them money to invest for him while he was gone. Now, Jesus, by telling the story, using this illustration, is telling us that it's okay for you to have extra money that you can invest. Because when you invest money, you not only make money yourself, but you invest all the people or you help all the people around you. Listen. When I started Willie George Ministries back there years ago in the fall of 1980, immediately three to four people who came with me had jobs. Now that number is three to 400. It has been even higher than that. I employ a lot of people. I have blessed a lot of people. Now, a lot of our jobs are entry level and, and no company can be responsible for a person from birth to the grave. What I want you to get is that we have a lot of people that are passing through. I had a lot of pass-through jobs. I am grateful for those pass-through jobs. If you have a pass-through job, don't get mad at your employer because he doesn't take you to the finish line. Uh, understand that all of these things we're doing are things that God is doing to build our careers, and we may move from one place to the other. I wish I could take every person and keep them with me for life, but can't always do that. And what I got you to see is that you've got to understand how that, that, that we're building along the way, and, and God moves us from one place to the next to the next, and that's what you see in Joseph's story. He started out with Potiphar, actually started out with his dad, then with Potiphar, then with the prison, and then finally he works for the Pharaoh. And so he moved from one stage to the next, and that's how God moves us. Capital, then, is money that's not needed for consumption, which can be used uh, uh, to invest it to create more money. That's what capital is. Now, let's, let's, let's look at the story even further. All right, he comes back, the master, after a long time, and he found that, that the guy he gave five talents to doubled it, and the guy that he gave two talents to doubled it. The guy he gave one talent to didn't even bring that talent back. And the master said, you wicked and lazy servant, you think I'm a hard man, do you? Harvesting crops I didn't plant and gathering crops I didn't cultivate? Well, you should have at least put my money into the bank so that I could have some interest. Now, this is interesting to me. Jesus is saying this 2,000 years ago that getting interest off your savings account is one of the worst ways you can make money. <laughs> it's not highly profitable. There are other ways to invest your money where you make even more, and Jesus identifies that 2,000 years ago. But he tells this servant, you should have at least put my money into a savings account, and I could have had some interest. Now, if that's wrong, why does Jesus use this illustration? We have 
the master, we have the guy who got five talents, the guy who had two talents, and all of them operated this process of capital investment, and they multiplied what was given to them. The only guy, the only guy who didn't do that was the wicked and slothful servant. Jesus said, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with 10 bags of gold, to those who use well what they uh, uh, what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. So God is behind capital investment because it blesses people. And this idea we all ought to have exactly the same no matter what we do. Listen to me. That clobbered the Soviet Union. It absolutely devastated the Soviet Union's economy. And it wasn't a good place to live. And this type of socialism around the world, it doesn't work. Now, in capitalism, to be sure, there are a lot of greedy people. But we also have the opportunity to be very generous in this society of being capitalistic. And no country on the face of this earth has ever been more generous than the United States. Now, it's possible to hold capital without being greedy. And the Bible teaches us that in order to have capital, you first got to have a storehouse. Listen to Deuteronomy 28.8. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord God has given you. Now you say right now, I don't have a lot of money. I spend 100% of what I take in. You're going to have to change that. And somebody says, how am I going to save any money? I've been in your shoes. I know exactly what you feel like. But I want to tell you, you have to start a savings account if it's nothing more than an envelope with a $5 bill. You put that 5 bucks in an envelope and treat it like it's untouchable. Here's what will happen. The money in that envelope becomes magnetic. It will draw more money to itself you will find ways to put money into that envelope. It's just something that happens. What is it? It's God commanding blessing on your storehouse. Listen, a hundred times nothing is still nothing. But when God multiplies your storehouse, a hundred times five is 500. You have to have a storehouse in order for God to bless it. Somebody says, but I just can't do it. Well, listen to what Jesus said. This is Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A lot of the time, the reason that we don't have savings is because we are not willing to deny ourselves. We've got our eyes set on something we do not absolutely have to have. We want to go out and buy it. We will spend 100% of what we make, and we'll never take time to save anything. And you, you'll go through that your whole life. But if you will practice denying yourself in some way or another, it isn't God saying to you, you can't have this. And this is the, the message of the cross. This is the message of the cross. Crosses are not permanent. When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, follow me. He isn't saying you got to hang on a cross forever. He didn't hang on a cross forever. You don't hang on a cross forever. When you deny yourself, it's not ever uh, forever denial. It is temporary denial for a principle. And that's what we're called to as believers. 
I am not going to do this now. I will give it up now. So what's going to happen? You go to a cross, and guess what is following a cross? What comes after the cross? Every death in Christ is followed by a glorious resurrection. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across. He was trying to say, guys, deny yourself now so that you can really get the good blessing later. And that's the life of Christ. I didn't know that. I did not know that. I was not raised to think that way. But I learned that about 35 years ago. I learned the importance of denying myself. And there were things I said, nope. And I was not a natural saver. I was not a natural uh, uh, manager of money. I spent 100% of everything we took in. But I learned over time to deny myself. And when I started with a little storehouse, just a little savings, God started blessing that, and I was blown away. The more it got blessed, the more I found myself desiring to save money. Then I had money to do the things I wanted to do. And so capital is a gift from God, and it doesn't come at the beginning. That's why I put it as the fourth primary resource. You use money to make money, and we see examples of that all over the country. Why should the world be the place where all the capital is? Why should all the ungodly people have all of that? Well, you know, money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I know that's what the Scripture says, but see, we're not loving money. We have a totally different take. We love blessing people. And when we understand that we can use money to bless our families, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. When we understand that we can utilize money to be a blessing to other folks, then we realize that money is a converted resource that comes from a primary resource. And this primary resource that we go after first is a blessing to humanity. So here's my principle for this message. Don't look for money. You're wasting your time. Don't look for money. Look instead for what it is that you are going to convert to money. Is it work? Is it wisdom? Is it a product? Is it some of your savings? Those are the four things that you're going to use to convert to money. Now, let me pray for you. Father, stir the imaginations of God's people right now. Stir them so that they can see ideas they've never seen before, think in ways they've never thought before, and take to themselves new ways to make money and to bless people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Church on the Move podcast. You can stay connected with us at churchonthemove.com or by following us on Instagram. Our mission at Church on the Move is simple. We want to introduce people to the real Jesus by helping them know God, grow in freedom, discover purpose, and go make a difference in their communities. If you're in the Tulsa area, we would love to have you join us at any of our campuses this weekend. You can check out churchonthemove.com for campus locations and times. We hope to see you soon.